I was really honored when Dave asked me to, to kind of kick us off for the year. Um, it's just, it's really important to start things well, right? Like beginnings matter. And I was like, this is awesome. This opportunity to speak into our church, into our community, and just give a word and just say like what I feel is on God's heart. And, um, and I'm ready to bring it today. I have a word for you that I feel like is, is a Kairos word, which is essentially like, a word for such a time as this. I believe it is for our community, for this moment, for this season, for this year. I also feel like this is kind of an evergreen word as well. Like there are principles that I'm gonna unpack in this message that are gonna be kind of like a Christian instruction book. Like at any point in life, you could come back to this message and feel like, ooh, I could use that, that's helpful. So hopefully it feels like it hits you and it resonates and it lands today. And also it's kind of like a framework or something our church can kind of look back to and anchor for 2021. We are going to be in 2 Chronicles 20. Before we read the passage, I want to give a tiny bit of context here. At this point in the Bible, we are in the Old Testament, Israel is divided. It's a divided kingdom. So the north is retained the name Israel and the south is known as Judah. And in the, in the land of Judah, there is a king named Jehoshaphat. And he became king at 35 years old. He took over for his father and he is leading this nation. So as you hear me say today, the nation of Judah, what I'm talking about is the Jewish people. It's just that right at this point in history, the nation is divided. And so they're this little Southern kingdom, but this is a really important story. So we're actually gonna read this scripture in two portions. So stick with me, don't read ahead. I know you're gonna feel the temptation, just wanna keep reading, because you wanna know what happens. But stick with me. We're gonna read this first portion and then we'll, then we'll keep going, okay? Second Chronicles 20, starting at verse one. It says, after this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, with some of the Moonites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazan Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and they've built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and we will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. But now here are the men from Amnon, Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they're repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. 
We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. Church, let's pray. God, it's a new year. And I think there's probably a mix of emotions that all of us are feeling, maybe a sense of relief, maybe a sense of hope, maybe a sense of sadness that we are still dealing with some of the pain and the loss and the sickness and the tragedy of last year. But Jesus, I know that you are God of doing a new thing. And Lord, as we have kind of turned a chapter into this new year, I believe you have a new word for us. God, I believe that you want to speak something fresh to us this morning. I pray, God, that you would anoint me in this moment to bring the message that you have just been burning in my heart in preparation for this very sermon. And God, would you open the hearts of everyone that's listening to receive the word that you have for us, God, that we'd be able to grab it and we'd be able to hold it and we'd be able to say, yeah, yeah, I want that. Holy Spirit, we need you so much. Would you just come and anoint this message and would you teach us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. We have this scenario, Jehoshaphat and Judah, there's this army coming against them. The scripture says that it's a vast army. The situation was three nations had come together in a coalition to march on Judah. And they are very close at this point. There is something coming at Jehoshaphat, something coming at his people that is overwhelming. And it's a surprise. And they didn't see it coming. And they didn't have a lot of time. Jehoshaphat is a young king. And he's anticipating, he's seeing these people coming at him and knowing this is going to be a big war. This is going to be violence. This is going to be loss. What do you do in that moment when something's coming at you bigger than you can handle? Well, Jehoshaphat immediately goes to prayer. He draws the people of Judah together and very publicly in this courtyard, he gathers the people together and he says, we're going to fast and we're going to pray. And it says they came from every town and they came to seek God. What do you do when you're facing something overwhelming? And he starts with a question, and don't be confused here when he talks about, are you not this God? He's not, he's not asking the question because he's uncertain. This is a rhetorical question. This is drawing attention to the fact he knows who this God is. He is certain of who God is. He declares that he's the God of the heavens and he rules over the kingdoms of the nations. He has power and might that nobody can withstand. And then he evokes the name of Abraham. You see, and that would have meant something really significant to the Jewish people. This is not just their Sunday school story. This was their origin story. When they heard the name Abraham, they would have remembered the man who was called by God to leave everything he'd known to leave behind family, and to leave behind the familiar, and to go into the unknown. When they heard the name Abraham, they would have remembered that this 
was who God made a promise to, a covenant to, a commitment to. When they heard the name Abraham, they would have remembered the time that Abraham went up on the mountain with his son and was about to sacrifice him. And then God said, no, no, I don't want that sacrifice. And he provided a ram in that moment. When they heard the name Abraham, they would remember that they are a people that God has aligned himself with. They are a people with a promise. See, Jehoshaphat is praying publicly and he's saying, God, this is who you are. This is what you've done. And therefore, this is who we are. This is who we are. Jehoshaphat is declaring, God is the source of our confidence. As the enemy approaches, we're surprised. We didn't see this coming. We don't know what to do, but God is the source of our confidence. It's 2021. Here we are the year that we have all been waiting for and praying and hoping would come faster. You might be looking at this year with hope in your heart and thinking, vaccine is coming, we have a different president, hope is on the horizon, maybe. Maybe you're right, I tend to lean towards positivity as well. I tend to go into the new year and I'm hopeful and I'm excited. And then I heard this this quote on this podcast recently. And it's by an author called Jim Collins. Many of you probably are familiar with him. He wrote Good to Great, Built to Last, ton of like leadership books and business building and nonprofits, coaching, that kind of thing. And there was this quote by him, and I wanna share it with you this morning. He says, if the first two decades of the 21st century have taught us anything, it's that uncertainty is chronic. Instability is permanent. Disruption is common. And we can neither predict nor govern events. There will be no new normal. There will only be a continuous series of not normal episodes, defying prediction and unforeseen by most of us until they happen. Well, that feels like a punch in the stomach, right? It's like, hey, everyone, happy Sunday. It's a new year. Uncertainty, instability, like it's here to stay. Um, Yeah, I've been sitting with that quote. You might hear that and just think, oh, my goodness, like, uh, that sounds horrible. This this is not encouraging sermon. I want you to stay with me. Don't turn off the screen, okay? Um, You might be thinking, well, I don't agree with that. I don't think it's true. You know, I don't know. Like, I don't know Jim Collins. Um, He's pretty good at what he does, just saying. I think he's got um, some pretty broad perspective, but it's not the word of the Lord. It's not scripture. I don't know. I think what we can agree on, though, is that we live in a broken world, right? That as we go into 2021, as much as it's symbolic, the season, season shift, nothing magical has happened between December 31st and January 1st. Here we are with some of the same struggles. And even when we can get to a place of healing and wholeness, post-COVID, disruption in our nation, the world is broken and there are medical challenges, there is loss and there is grief and that's just life. And how do we approach that? I mean, what do we do in the middle of a storm? What do we do when everything's not perfect? What do we do when it feels like something is coming at us that is overwhelming? 
And if he is right, if there's gonna be constant uncertainty and instability and maybe no new normal, constant change that maybe we don't see coming, how do we weather that, church? Reality San Francisco, how do we weather that in 2021? Well, I think there's a clue in our text today. See, Jehoshaphat, he starts with declaring who God is and what he's done. He starts declaring the promises of God. This is who you've been. This is what you've done for us. This is who you will be. Church, today I want to say, do you know the promises of God? Because I know for me, and I think for many of us, listing the problems feels a lot easier than listing the promises. Like if I said to you today, hey, you know, what do you need prayer for? What's going on in your life? What are you struggling with? You could probably list a million things. But if I look at you today, church, and I said, tell me the promises of God for your life. I wonder if you could memorize them. I wonder if you could recite them. I wonder if you could tell me about them and open your Bible and say, well, on this day and at this time, God said this thing. I wonder if you could open your journal or point me to the mirror in your bedroom and say, that's the promise of God for my life, for my marriage, for my children. I wonder, I think if most of us were honest this morning, we'd need a few minutes to maybe flick through and find a promise in scripture or try to recall Is there something that God has said to me this year? I found this quote as I was preparing. It's by someone British, so obviously it's amazing. Um, It's by a Baptist preacher called Charles Spurgeon. He says, I like to plunge my hand into the promises. And then I find myself able to grasp with a grip of determination the mighty faithfulness of God. Church, that we would be a community that would know how to plunge our hand into the promises, that we would know how to sink into them so deep and grab a hold of them and say, I know what the promise of God is for my life. I know what God has spoken for me, that we would be able to immerse ourselves and be that kind of community. That is exactly what Jehoshaphat is doing here. He's recalling the history. He's saying, God, aren't you this person? Like you're, you're the God of the heavens. You rule over the kingdoms. This is who you are. This is what you've promised through Abraham to our people. You've promised something. We are a people of promise because God is faithful to his promises. God is faithful. Psalm 119 verses 89 to 90 says, your faithfulness continues through all generations You establish the earth and it endures. There is a longevity to the faithfulness of God, church. It's not a quick sprint when it comes to his faithfulness. It's not an overexertion in a short period of time. God is not lacking in determination or ability to follow through on what he said. He is faithful if he has said it, he's going to do it. Lamentations 3, 21 to 23 says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The faithfulness of God is so big, so significant, so enduring. 
we can bank on his faithfulness. Psalm 91 says he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. That's an old word there, that that shield and that rampart. Essentially what it means is a defense, a fortification. What the scripture is saying is your faithfulness The fact that you always do what you say you're going to do, that's like a shield to me. So when something comes at me that I'm not expecting, when the enemy's coming in and it feels big and it feels overwhelming, your faithfulness takes up residence between me and the enemy. And you stand as a defense and you say, not today, because God is faithful. And he stands between us and the discouragement and the hopelessness and the fear. And he says, I'm going to get right in between there with my faithfulness, my promises that if I say it, I'm going to do it. And church, that's what we hide behind. When we ask that question this morning, how are we going to weather the storm? We're going to weather it because of the faithfulness of God, because he is good to his promises. See, when we need a defender, when we need a fortified position, when we need some distance between us and everything that feels like it's pressing in, what we need to remember are the promises of God for our life and the fact that he is faithful. As we approach 2021, church, this is the lens, this is the word that I have for you. This is what I feel like as we look towards this year, that our hope is not on the fact that it's a new year. And our hope is not on the fact that we have a different president. And our hope is not on a vaccine. And it's not on this or this and this. Our hope, the source of our confidence, is in the faithfulness of God. That he will do everything that he says he will do. I can just imagine Jehoshaphat. He's standing on that courtyard, this loud voice. And he's proclaiming and declaring. Church, I think we're really good at getting loud. Many of us are. We're really good at getting loud about our politics. We're really good at getting loud about our causes and our opinions. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But what I want to challenge you with this morning is, are you able to get as loud about the promises of God? Are you able to be as fierce in your prayer closet declaring the promises of God as you are with your little fingers on your screen on Twitter? Are you able to get fierce and loud and just like intense about the promises of God? Because I think some of us are really passionate about some things and that's great. I'm a passionate person. I can get behind that. But church, my encouragement to you today as we start 2021 here in San Francisco is can you get loud about the promises of God? You know, so many of us, we know our statistics and we know our theories and we know our research. Do we know our promises? Do we know the promises of God for our life? There's something so beautifully balanced about Jehoshaphat's prayer. He's declaring the promises, but he's also bluntly honest about their situation. He says, we have no power and we don't know what to do. This is the place of spiritual maturity that I think each of us are being invited to step a little deeper into this year. It's where 
we don't know what to do meets the source of our confidence. It's where reality touches faith. It's where our present circumstances encounter a miracle working God. It's where hopelessness and desperation meet confidence and courage. It's this kind of sacred place right there. That's what our faith looks like. We're not delusional, we're not detached. Jehoshaphat knew what was coming his way. We can look around us in the world and we can see what's coming our way to some degree. There is brokenness and there is pain and there is struggle. But there is this place of faith, church, that I believe we're being invited into, where we bring the struggle and we bring the reality of our circumstances and it meets the source of our confidence. It, it just kind of butts right up against, it kind of hits against the faithfulness of God. And it's in that place that we live. I want to draw attention to this one small, tiny passage here for just a moment, and that's in verse 13. It talks about who was present with the men and the women, the children and the little ones. And I want to speak to parents for just a minute today. I believe that families have faced some really unique challenges this last year. All of us have faced challenges. Parents, you, we have faced some pretty unique ones. I don't think there's ever been a point in time where we have had to figure out how to keep working and virtually schooling and being with our children 24-7. I don't think we've had to deal with the level of stress and the level of exhaustion. I don't think we've had to navigate some of the things we've had to navigate like we have this last year. But I think one of the things that was hardest for me as a parent was that I've never had to pastor my kids like I did this last year. I've never had to answer the questions of why we're in a pandemic. And I've never had to deal with the, the unanswered prayer and the process of the grief. I've never had to address anxiety and stress in the way that I've had with little people in my life of two boys, 11 and six. This year has been challenging. I think all of us could say that Man, it's hard enough to manage our own emotions, but as parents, we have had to help pastor the emotions of our children. And that has been incredibly difficult. But there was one thing that became super clear to me this last year. And that is that aside from loving my kids and giving them the sense of belonging and purpose, there was a mandate, there was something that became so clear to me. And that is that we as parents, are called to introduce our children to and equip them for the life of faith. That we are called to show them what faith looks like, stripped back in an imperfect world. We are supposed to show them, you know what, it's okay to have questions. And it's okay to not know. I mean, some of us read this passage and we're like, dude, Jehoshaphat is up there saying, we don't know what to do when the enemy's coming. And little children are in the crowd. That's crazy, because a lot of us adults, we do those conversations in private. We don't bring our kids into that kind of transparency. We don't want to breed fear. And I agree with that to some degree. I want to give you an example. This last summer, my husband and I went on this journey, moving house, and it was one of those crazy miracle stories where God just showed up for us and did something unexpected and beautiful. And early on, we talked about how do we draw our kids into this journey with us? We want them to see faith. 
We want them to see what it looks like to ask God for big things, but have zero clue how he's gonna come through. And we wanna do that in a way where they feel like they're participants, but that we don't breed fear. I remember one of the first things that we did is we asked them to pray with us and we said, hey, we feel like God wants us to have a home and we have no idea how that's gonna happen, but would you pray with us? And I remember one of my boys had a picture of a blue house. Every time we went to look at a house, when we got back, they'd say, was the house blue? And we're like, well, no. And they'd look at us like, why are you even looking at it? You know, like God's spoken. And it was just like, okay, well, now we live in a blue house. <laughs> um, you know, and, and it's just like, I remember this one time, I was feeling really discouraged. We tried to get a house, it fell through. It fell through in this really illogical, weird way. And I was low and I was feeling like, God, where are you? And my 11-year-old was like, hey, mom, what, how are you doing? And I was like, honestly, I'm struggling, struggling. But you know what? Like, we're just, just gonna keep trusting God. And he looked at me and he's like, God, he said, mom, God does the impossible. And I was like, okay, out of the mouth of children. And they were on this journey with us. And when we saw God do crazy stuff, and then just a few weeks ago, we were at the park and I was pushing my six-year-old and he said to me, out of nowhere, Mom, we saw a miracle this year, didn't we? Because we talk about miracles a lot in our house. And uh, I was like, we did. And he, he's just looking out into the distance and he said, I want to see more miracles. And I thought, yes. Because I failed a lot as a parent. There's some stuff I look back on and I'm like, oh, that's embarrassing. <laughs> that was a really bad decision. That was poor behavior. I'm not a perfect mom, but I'm so happy with the way that we journeyed with our kids this year. Because what they got to see was, this is what faith looks like. And this is what exactly is happening in this moment with Jehoshaphat. This is what it looks like when fear and uncertainty meet the source of our confidence. This is what it looks like to sit around the table with our kids and say, you know what, we're not sure actually, but we trust in the faithfulness of God. You know, kids are not our therapists and they're not our confidence and they shouldn't be. Like we shouldn't be unloading our stuff on our children. That's not what I'm saying today. I'm not saying that we share our woes. What I'm saying is that we invite our children into some of the uncertainty, age appropriate, emotional development appropriate to say, you know what, faith isn't always this perfect, easy thing. Life of faith is complex. And it can be in years like 2020. How do you weather a storm? Guys, if Jim Collins is right, and if what is ahead for us is uncertainty and instability, we have to prepare our children for that. We have to pull them into this journey of faith. And it's a beautiful thing. And we have moments where they say things like, I wanna see more miracles. And that's exactly what we want our children to be saying. We want them to know how to sink into the promises for themselves. We want them to recite the promises. We want them to be able to say, hey, I remember that year when God said that thing and then he did it and then he did it again and then he did it again. We want them to have a history with God of God showing up in desperate situations just like Jehoshaphat and just like Judah were facing. The promises are good but that's not all. We're gonna finish the text here and see what else God has for our community. Back to 2 Chronicles, starting at verse 14. 
It says, then the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph. As he stood in the assembly, he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. And this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeriel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance of the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Korathites and the Korhites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah, and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in this prophets, and you'll be successful. After consulting people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing on articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took them three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Barakah where they praised the Lord. This is why it's called the Valley of Barakah to this day. Then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem. For the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem, went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. Jehaziel, not a main character in the Bible, not a Jewish celebrity. He hadn't written any books and he didn't have a podcast. This was just like a random priest, just a random dude. And they're praying in this big courtyard and the spirit of God comes on him and he prophetically speaks. And it's a message of comfort. He says, don't be afraid. And it's a message of instruction. He's like, this is where I want you to go. And then he says, it's a message of promise. God will fight for you. And then immediately after they receive this word, says Jehoshaphat falls on his knees and worships and everybody else starts worshiping. Church, this is what I wanna say to you today. Most of us live our lives responding and not initiating. You see, anybody can worship when the battle has already been won. 
Anybody can worship and praise and get loud when you've seen the victory, when the relationship's been restored, when you have the healing, when you can see the way forward, when you feel like things are coming together. Anybody can worship in those circumstances, but people of faith, we worship because we have a promise. We worship before we see the victory. We worship before we see the healing, before we see the breakthrough. We worship because we have a promise. Is it enough for you to have a promise to worship today, church? Can we get loud today simply because we have the promises or are we the kind of person that has to wait to see it, to see the breakthrough? See, faith is when we worship even when the enemy is still coming at us. Faith is when we worship even when we're overwhelmed. Faith is when we worship in the mix of the diagnosis, when we're laying on an MRI table, getting a scan and not knowing what the future holds. Faith is when we worship, when we look at the bank account and it's just down to zero and we don't know our way forward. Faith is when we worship, when we feel like I'm too old or my time's gone or I don't have it what it takes or I made a bad decision or no one will ever choose me or I'll always be alone. Faith is when we worship in the midst of the storm and Reality San Francisco, this is a word that I feel is for us, that we are to be people of faith in 2021. We are to be people that worship right now because we have a promise. Do you know the promise of God for your life? Do you know the promise of God for your marriage, for your children, for your future? Because that's a point of reference. We hold on to that. And like Spurgeon says, we sink into it. And somewhere in there, we grab on to the faithfulness of God like Jehoshaphat, and we say, I've got a promise so I can worship. I've got a promise so I can get loud. I've got a promise so I can just praise Jesus right now. I don't know what's gonna happen. If Jim Collins is right, this year might be a bit shaky for us. There might be some things that come our way that we didn't see coming, but you know what? We can worship, church. We can get loud because we have a promise. And if we don't learn to worship in the storm, we will become a discouraged and apathetic community. We will become a community that has to see it before we worship. We'll, we'll become a community where we have to see it before we believe it. And church, I believe that God is just bringing a word to us today, an invitation to say, you wanna be people of faith. Now is the time we worship in the storm. We worship in the midst of the diagnosis. We worship in the midst of uncertainty. We worship when we don't know what's happening. We worship when we're blindsided. We worship when we're confused. We worship when we're hurt and when we're broken. We worship because we're people of faith. Reality San Francisco. What I love about this passage too is that they've had this promise, like God's gonna fight this battle and yet they still show up. They still show up for battle. There's obedience here. God says, I want you to go and be present. I'm gonna fight this, but you gotta show up. You know, I think a lot of us want a promise and it's like, it's okay, lovelies. I'm, I'm gonna come through for you. Just go home, just chill out. It's good, just put your feet up. 
You don't have to do anything. We all want that kind of word. That sounds great. If Jesus is just like, I'm just gonna do this whole thing and you don't have to do anything. You can just go home. But that's not the kingdom because it's a wonderful thing actually, but we're actually called to participate in God's kingdom. We're invited to partner with him. And sometimes that, sometimes that means even with the promise, we still have to show up. Church, I believe in 2021, God is inviting some of us to show up in ways that we haven't before. To step into obedience, to step into our yes, to do the thing that we've probably known we should be doing, but maybe we just couldn't do it in 2020. Maybe we just felt like we needed a new year to kind of nudge us over the edge. I don't know what it is, but what I'm saying, church, is the invitation this year, how is God asking you to show up? You see, for some of us, faith looks like stepping into something big. And for some of us, faith looks like stepping back. And it can look either way. But I want to challenge you today. What does it look like for you in this year? What does it look like to show up for the battle? To show up and participate in the promise? You might say, Ruthie, this is sounding a little bit like a hard word. It's the first Sunday of the year and I wanted something pastoral. I preached those sermons last year. There's a really great one on the kindness of God. <laughs> and there's another one about delighting in God and him delighting us. Those were some sermons last year. If you need those today, you can go back and listen to them. But as I prepared for today's message, what God was stirring in me to the point that I held my Bible and wept over it, was like, I want my people to rise up. I want them to be people of prayer, people of worship, and people of faith. So if you're feeling a little activated in the spirit, good, because that is what I want to see happen. That is God's heart for our community, is that we would see some things shift, that we would begin to see the miracles that we've been praying for, to see the breakthrough, to see the salvation, to see a move of the spirit, dare I say it, revival. That we would see a move of the spirit happening in our lives personally, in our community, and in our city. Worship shifts things. They put the worshipers at the front of this army as they showed up for this battle that they didn't have to fight. And they began to worship and they began to worship. You might say, well, that was a one-off story. I don't know if worship actually shifts things. Okay, Acts 16, Paul and Silas, they're in prison. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Worship shifts things. It changes the atmosphere. It says, as they began to worship, God said about doing his business. He said about setting ambushes and taking out the enemy. God is calling us to be a community of worshipers. But there's also something small here that I want to draw your attention to in regards to shifting an atmosphere. And I want to speak to you if you're a leader. I wanna to speak to the leaders who are listening to me. You might be a parent 
and you lead a two-year-old, great, you're a leader. You might mentor someone. You might lead a small group. You might be in a position of authority here in our community or leading spiritually somewhere in your life. If you're a leader, I want to draw your attention to something because as they head out to battle, Jehoshaphat has one last thing to say. And he says, listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord your God. I listen to a lot of leadership podcasts. I've listened to a lot of leaders in 2020. I am a leader. It's been a hard year to know how to lead. It's been a lot of conversation, like what is required of me? What is being asked of me? As we go into a new year, leaders are always asking, okay, what's the vision? What's the word? What am I supposed to do? I think there's something here that gives us a clue as to what we as leaders are called to do. We are called to lead people with words and with actions that declare, have faith in the Lord your God. We think, well, I've got to do the latest this and I've got to do the thing over there. No, what we need to do is show up and be leaders of faith. And here's the challenge for every single one of us is that we cannot cultivate corporately what we haven't developed personally. You might be looking at your family and your children and thinking, man, I want to see them grow up to love Jesus and live a life of faith. You might be looking at the people you're responsible for and thinking, gosh, I want to see faith activated. I want to see us be a community. But the thing is, it has no power if it's just words and it's not coming from a place of a life that's transformed. Leaders, I want to challenge you and ask you this question. When was the last time that you stepped out with such radical faith. I mean, you took a leap that was so big that you lost sleep over it. That you literally lied awake at night and you were like, God, if you don't come through, I don't know what's gonna happen. Like, I'm gonna be ruined or my reputation's gonna be over or this thing's gonna fall apart. I mean, to the point that we're just like so dependent on God because that's exactly where Jehoshaphat was at. God, if you don't come through right now, this is the end for us. And if you're a leader and you're looking at 2021, my word for you today is begin to develop that kind of life of faith. So when you speak it to your two-year-old or your small group or your community, it carries so much weight because you've walked it, because you've lived it, because you've felt what it's like to pace your floor at 2 a.m. and just be like, God, you have to come through because I can't do this without you. And that is the sweet spot for us as leaders where we are vulnerable. We say, I don't have all the answers, but I know the source of my confidence. It is the faithfulness of God. And I believe that when we lead from there, our children, our people will look at us and say, I want that kind of life too. That's the kind of faith that I want. One final point as I begin to just wrap up here. I love that at the end of this passage, it's weird. 24 to 26 talks about how they get there and everyone's dead. Like everyone's defeated and they haven't done anything except like sing and worship. And there's like all this plunder. There's like equipment, clothing, and articles of value. So much that it takes them three days. I mean, these people are dead on the ground and they are collecting so much stuff that it takes three solid days. And then on the fourth day, 
they go back and they worship. This is such a turnaround moment here because if we look back at verse 11, when Jehoshaphat is praying, at the very beginning, he says that the enemy's coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as our inheritance. Church, the enemy is always coming to drive us out of the possession of our inheritance. He's always after our stuff. He's always after our healing. He's always after our victory and our breakthrough. Jesus says in John 10, that he comes to steal and to kill and destroy. This is the nature of who we're dealing with. But look at this passage. They're coming to drive them out. Not only are they defeated, but there's all this stuff that they got. Church, there's always something to pick up on the other side of obedience. There's always something to pick up, to take claim to, It might be money, it might be stuff like that, it can include that, but I think it's so much more. I think it's joy, I think it's peace. I think it's like all the stuff of the kingdom that we all desperately want on the heels of 2020. There are some of you that are dealing with anxiety and despair and you're like, I don't know how to find my peace. I wanna encourage you this morning that it might be just on the other side of your obedience. It might be just on the other side of your worship. It might be just on the other side of you showing up. The enemy wants to drive you out of what God has for you. But God has something so much bigger going on. It reminds me of a story. A story of a young man who was loved by his father but hated by his brothers. It reminds me of a man that was tossed in a well, sold into slavery, falsely accused and then thrown into prison where he stayed many years longer than he should have because he thought someone was gonna help him get out and that fell through, but then eventually was elevated to be the second most powerful person in Egypt. And when his brothers came to him and realized what they had done, Joseph looked at them and he said this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Church, The enemy intended to harm us in 2020, and that's not gonna stop, but God will take anything and bring something beautiful and good out of it. You might be facing a storm, you might be facing craziness, you might be facing something so big you feel overwhelmed by it, but I believe that God has stuff for us to pick up. Peace, joy, blessing, breakthrough, victory, He has something good for us. We're gonna move back into a time of worship and I'm gonna invite the band to come on up and we're gonna do something a little bit different today. As I was preparing for this message, I felt like God just wanted me to release a blessing into our community for 2021. So as the band comes up, I'm just gonna um, gonna begin to pray over you and ask God just to impart some things that I've been speaking that I feel like are for us to sit with this year as a community, an anchor, a word. And then we're just gonna see how the Holy Spirit might wanna speak to us. God, I just thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that if you said you're gonna do it, you're gonna do it. I thank you that those of us who are parents, those of us who are leaders, 
there is anointing and there is the help of the Holy Spirit to do that which you've called us to. God, I thank you for those of us that feel like the enemy is stolen. God, you have something good for us. Lord, I thank you for those of us that are facing uncertainty and instability, that we can sink ourselves into your faithfulness, God, into your promises. Wherever you are, if you're at home, wherever you're listening to this, I just wanna encourage you to posture yourself to receive. You might wanna kneel. You might wanna just open up your hands, but I believe that God wants to impart something to us in this moment that's gonna carry us into 2021. It's gonna give us a perspective. It might even bring a breakthrough or healing. But Reality San Francisco, I wanna bless you this morning to be people of faith unsatisfied by complacency, unsatisfied by being lukewarm, unsatisfied with waiting to worship until you see the breakthrough. And instead, I wanna bless you to be people of faith, people activated in the Spirit, even right now, to believe God for big things. I sense that some of us this year are gonna be asked, asked to take big leaps. And you might even come back to this message and say, yeah, that's that nudge that I needed to step out and say yes to that thing or to pull back from that other thing. And so I bless you to be people of radical faith where you'll put everything on the line, where you'll lay it all down because nothing is as valuable as a life with Jesus. Nothing will mean more to you than chasing Him and living this adventure and this life of risk. God, make us a people of faith that we would trust you for the big things. God, I bless this community with the capacity to sink into the promises. God, would you stir in us today a memory of your promises. Some of us need to go open the Bible and just really just grab onto some of them. The promise that you'll never leave us, the promise that you'll forgive us, the promise that you're always by our side, the promise that you're good and that you're faithful and you're kind. We just need to pull that stuff out. Some of us need to open our journals and just look at all the stuff we wrote in 2020 and we need to write it. And then we need to get loud about it and we need to pray it and we need to pace our floors and we need to say, God, you are still the God of the breakthrough. I mean, 2020 sucked, but you are still the God of healing. You're still the God of victory. You're still the God that does everything that you say you will do. You're still that person. And we would sink ourselves. We'd be so immovable. And news would come and we'd say, you know what? That was unexpected, but God is faithful. And struggle would come and we'd say, oh, that hurts. But God is faithful. God, help us to be a people that would sink into your promises. God, I wanna bless the parents in our community today to lead their children into a life of faith. God, we need your help so badly with this. We, we just need your Holy Spirit because this feels so hard when, when we ourselves are struggling. But I thank you, Jesus, that you are giving us right now just impartation, grace, insights, I pray for conversations 
just to begin to spark with our kids at bath time and dinner time and bedtime. And we'd grab a hold of that moment and we'd say, this is what faith looks like. And this is what my journeys look like. And our kids would be spurred to ask those questions. God, we ask for a breaking out of your Holy Spirit amongst our children amongst our teenagers, God, amongst our babies right now in Jesus' Name. I pray, God, that Your Spirit would move in our community and You would raise them up. God, raise up this next generation to love You, to follow You, to be children of faith. Raise them up to lead us, God. God, I bless the leaders in this room. I ask God to each one of us, would you impart the capacity for deeper vulnerability? Would you develop in us so deeply this year what we long to pass on to those around us? I feel like there are people in this community, your leaders, and you wanna give something away, but you, don't, you feel like you don't have it. And I'm reminded of the five loaves and two fish. And I just feel like God's encouragement to us as leaders is you might feel like you don't have much, but I can multiply it and I can do something miraculous with it if you bring it to me. And maybe this is a year for us as leaders to bring our broken things and our small things and say, God, can you do something with this? God, would you cause us to be leaders that can say to the people, have faith in God, have faith in God. Hear my testimony, this is what God's done in my life. He's been so faithful. He's been so faithful. And God, I thank you that what the enemy meant for evil, God, you will use it for good. The things that we feel like we'll never get back, the things that we may not get back, but God, somehow you bring something beautiful. You are birthing something in this season. And I pray that you would give us the courage to reach for it and say, yeah, all hope is not lost. Since that is a word for somebody that has been just feeling like hope is just lost. Maybe you even entered into this year and already three days in, you're like, something has happened that has been deeply disappointing. And you're like, it's not a new year. It's just gonna be the same old. And I just wanna break that in Jesus' name. It is not the same old. We may face struggle and we may face difficulty, but God is doing a new thing in us and in our community. Jesus, we love you. We love you so much. Lead us into this year with your perspective and your vision in Jesus' name, amen.